Let me start with a question. Which voices in this world are the ones that reach your ears most often? Whose voices do you listen to the most? Which are the voices that you allow most to shape you, to shape your thinking, your perspective, your outlook, the choices that you make? Researchers tell us that one of the most dominant voices in our ears, in our culture today, whether through the way we use it to watch or to listen or to stream or to text, is this, our phone. On an average day, how many... Oh, sorry. Um... On an average day, how many times would you say that you access your phone? How much time do you spend on it? According to an article that I came across that kind of gathered together all of the latest research about our phone use, it said that the average American is on their phone for five hours and 24 minutes every single day. One out of 13 people between the age of their mid-20s to their early 40s, is on their phone 12 hours a day or more. The average person checks their phone 63 times a day. They... Hello? Hey, hey, listen, um, I'm kind of in the middle of something. Can I call you back? Great, thanks. I'm sorry, what were you saying? The average person spends two hours and 24 minutes every day on social media. LinkedIn, Pinterest, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and so on and so on. So hold on to that thought of the influence of this. As a church, we believe that we are called to live a life of love. And we believe that the scriptures guide us in recognizing that there are three dimensions to that call. The three dimensions of that call are to love God, to love Jesus, to love his people, to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, and together to pour out his love on the world. We also believe that each of those parts of our calling, each of those dimensions of our calling will express itself in practical, predictable, tangible ways. And today we're zeroing in on the second expression that our love for Jesus will find. It will show up in our worship life, which we talked about last Sunday, and it will show up in the way that we spend time reading and studying the scriptures, which is our focus for today. So let me just ask you this. How would you describe the relationship that you have with scripture? How much time do you spend in God's word? What are some of the things that get in the way of reading or studying scripture or make, it that, or make that difficult for you? Six years ago, this is way before the disruption that we call COVID, only one out of three Protestant churchgoers said that they read the Bible every day. According to another survey that was done also pre-COVID, 
Two out of three evangelicals say that they read their Bible at least once a week. You're probably aware of this. People in the church refer to the process of being trained in how to think and how to live as the process of being discipled. It has to do with being a student, being a learner. So we could think of the voices that we listen to most as our primary disciplers. And I would just say, man, we look at how some people reacted in the American church over this uh, and during this thing called COVID in the last three years. And it's pretty easy to see the disproportion of influence of voices between the scriptures and lots of other voices making their way to our hearts and shaping us, discipling us. So which voices reach your heart most often? Who are your primary disciplers? So joining together this conversation about time we spend in the word of God and time we spend on our phones. You could also think in terms of Screen time, watching TV, watching the news, time spent in novels or whatever else, wherever else we open our minds and our hearts to other voices. If you were to draw a bar graph, see kids, math actually is relevant to life. If you were to draw a bar graph in which one of the bars reflected the average amount of time that you spend reading scripture each day, And the other bar would represent the average amount of time that your life, that your ears are open to other voices arriving at you through your phone or TV or whatever else. What would those two bars look like in relationship to each other? So what does it matter? Why, does it, why is it so important for us to spend time in the scriptures? Well, the Bible is clear and it's consistent in its claim, first of all, that the Bible has come to us from God. It's not people's best guesses about God. It's God's revelation of himself to us. And it's, the Bible is consistent and clear in communicating that the scriptures are meant to be a gift from God to his people. So in what way does God intend for his word to be a gift to us? I think the way that most of us think about the the reason that God gave us the Bible is primarily in terms of one or the other or both of two things. Either that it's the information that we should know or it's the list of rules that we should obey. How do you think about the scriptures? that fit the category that you might have? Well, we all know what to do with information. We've got an enormous university in our backyard and a number number of us are connected with it. What do you do with information? You accrue it, you master it, you accumulate it. And it's tempting for us sometimes to think that that's the goal with scripture, just know it. What do you do with rules? Well, You live according to them, unless you can't. The scriptures are kind of ambiguous in the message that they communicate to us. On the one hand, we say, this is the life we're supposed to live. Torah means the path to walk. 
And they also communicate to us that we can't, that we're not perfect, that we're not capable of walking the life that God lays out before us. So how do we approach the Bible if it's just a set of rules? I think the Bible is meant to be a gift to us. Not as a body of material to master, not as an unattainable burden to navigate, but I think there are three ways that God means for the scriptures to be a gift to us. It's a gift of reality, it's a gift of intimacy, and it's a gift of authority. First of all, the gift of reality. God reveals and we are given eyes to see. This dimension of scripture comes through as one example in the prayer that Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, praying for his disciples on the last night that he spent with them. Beginning in verse six, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. I gave them the words that you gave me and they have accepted them. And they knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. I've given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am. Sanctify them, that make them distinctive, make them holy. By the truth, your word is truth. So truth is whatever corresponds with reality. It, it reveals the way that things actually are. We live in a world in which there are lots and lots of different versions of reality, but there are really only two primary alternatives. And the key question is which of those actually lines up with the way that things really are? Either what my senses tell me is accurate and the material world is all there is, or there's something or someone more to my life. Either there is no God, I'm an accident, adrift in a world that is also an accident, and there's no intention or design between my few days here on earth. Whatever identity I have is a construct of my own making or of our society's making, and it is as fluid and as muddy as the Wabash River, and there's no inherent meaning or purpose in my life or in my death. You do stuff and then you die and that's it. Or there is a God. And that God is the one who created me. I exist by his choice and for his sake. So my identity as a human being is tied directly to him. He gives meaning and purpose to my life. And that purpose is to live my life for him. The creator took on human flesh, bringing dignity and purpose to all of humanity and giving hope and redemption to those who give their allegiance to him, who put their faith and trust in Jesus, who reconciles us to God and who opens the way for us to enjoy his presence for eternity. So time moves with purpose to fulfill God's eternal purposes and death does not have the last word. So which is it? Which one is a more faithful picture of reality? Followers of Christ understand the Bible as God's gift to us because it reveals ultimate reality to us. The Bible opens up a window onto the truest realm of all. The truth that God occupies the center of existence and my life finds meaning in relationship to him. 
Every time I open the Bible, every time I am given the gift of a fresh vision of the deepest reality of all. Psalm 119 is a wonderful celebration of the gift of God's word to us. One of the lines in that psalm, verse 12, is one that we can pray with the psalmist. It says, open my eyes to see the wonderful truths in your instructions. Second, intimacy. In addition to giving us the scriptures in order to open our eyes to ultimate reality, God gives us the scriptures in order to bring us into a relationship of deeper intimacy with himself through Christ. The Bible is the record of God reaching out to us and the invitation for us to reach back to his outstretched hand. Intimacy is a term that the church has used for hundreds of years to describe the kind of relationship that God desires to have with us, a relationship of knowing and being known at the deepest of levels. This dimension of God's gift given to us in the scriptures comes through in many places, including 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them we may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world that's caused by evil desires. So Peter speaks of God giving us his very great and precious promises, words of intimacy and invitation. Those promises relate to the way that we are privileged to enter into a relationship with God that deepens and deepens and deepens to the point where we actually share in his divine nature. The scriptures have brought to us across the miles and across the years those very great and precious promises. The scriptures reveal God for us, his loving heart towards us, his redemptive gift of his son, how we can know him, how we can draw closer to him. I'm sure you've seen the t-shirts that have uh, quotes on them that look like they are quotes from scripture and then the, the reference on them says me 24-7. Have you seen those? Contrast that to Jeremiah 24-7 which says, I will give them a heart to know me. That I am the Lord and they will be my people and I will be their God. How much can we actually know about God outside of the scriptures? In Romans chapter 1, Paul says we can know that he exists. It also says that we can get a glimpse of his creative power and artistry, and that's pretty much it. What else can we know about God outside of the scriptures but those couple of things? To learn that God made us for a relationship with himself, to discover that Jesus lived among us to make God known that he died in our place in order to make a relationship with God possible. The scriptures are necessary. They teach us that God puts his spirit in us to pour out his love upon us, Romans chapter five. They teach us that if we are his, nothing can separate us from his love, Romans chapter eight. Followers of Christ receive the Bible as the gift of his precious revelation of his loving heart toward us. So we pray also with the psalmist, Psalm 119, verse 10, I seek you with all my heart. Don't let me stray from your commands. 
And third, authority. Then, and only then, once we understand the reality that God exists and that we exist because of and for him, and once we understand the intimate relationship that God desires to have with us as his children because of his depth of love for us, only then can we understand why God rightly has the authority in our lives to be our king to whom we submit ourselves as his subjects. This dimension of scripture is communicated also in a number of different places. One of many examples is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, which says that all scripture finds its source in God. All scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible comes to us as gift from God. It corrects my wrong beliefs, and it also replaces them with right ones. It exposes the places that my life doesn't line up with my faith and with what the scriptures teach. And it shows me a way to live that actually honors and pleases God. All in order that I might be properly outfitted. The, the picture is like a ship that's outfitted for a long voyage. In order to live the sort of life that God uh, intends for me. So in scripture, we learn not just about God's heart of love for us, but we also learn about his passionate desire to form us as his sons and daughters into people who resemble his son, Jesus. In the hands of the spirit who inspired them, transformation and not information is what the words in the Bible offer to us. If God made me, then he knows best the way that I should live and he has the right to call me into that life. That's his authority. The right that he has as the one who created us to be the author of our stories. Which leads us to pray with a psalmist of one, Psalm 119, verse 73. You made me, I love this line. You made me, you created me, now give me the sense to follow your commands. So reading the Bible is about something way more than simply accruing information or reading a list of rules. The Bible brings us into the reality that God and his purposes stand at the center of existence. It reminds us of God's desire that we would enjoy an intimate relationship with him for eternity. And it is the primary means by which our lives are transformed and shaped into the likeness of his son. That motivates me to want to be in the Bible. That motivates me to want the Bible to be in me. So what is the next step that you could take so that your love for God could express itself more in the way that you read and study the scriptures? Is your Bible reading and study where you want it to be? Just a couple of practical suggestions related to this as we wrap up. If you've never tried reading the Bible in an intentional way, uh, here are some thoughts. First of all, find a translation that you love and that you can trust, one that you understand. There is no point in reading a translation that you don't connect with. I highly recommend the New Living Translation. I think it is really fresh and readable, but it's also incredibly faithful. It stands on very solid biblical scholarship. The NIV and ESV are very good. Contemporary English version is incredibly readable, and there are other good ones as well. 
Second, if you have never read the Bible before, don't start at the beginning. <laughs> Please, go straight to the New Testament. One of my favorite days in our life as a church is when I get to, with the children's ministry, hand out our third grade Bibles. I still have my third grade Bible, and most of the pages are still stuck together. I never read it. I tried. I still remember lying on my bunk in, at church camp, and I opened to the first page, and I started reading uh, the first paragraph of the chapter called Genesis. And after about a page and a half of, of places I'd never heard of before and names I couldn't pronounce and stories that I could not begin to understand, I closed the cover, and I didn't open the Bible again. And then it was reluctantly until my last year in college. Don't start with the New Testament, or the Old Testament. That is like starting with Silmarillion instead of the Lord of the Rings. It's really important background, but it is not the heart of the story. Start with the New Testament. Even more specifically, I would encourage you to start with one of the Gospels. Those are the four biographies of Jesus at the very beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I read in several different places in the scriptures each day, but I always make sure that one of the places I read is one of the Gospels because I want to hear Jesus' voice ringing in my ears every single day of my life. If you want, you might want to alternate between the Gospels and the Eons. That's what I call the short, encouraging letters that Paul wrote to some of the churches that, uh, that help encourage them along in the Christian faith and help them to know how to live it out. Galatian, uh, Philippian, Ephesians, and Colossians. That's not how you pronounce it, but that's how I remember the Eons. Did you know if you were to read the New Testament for just six minutes every day? Now think back to where we started, six minutes. Five hours and 24 minutes on average every day. If you were to read the Bible for just six minutes a day, you'd be able to read the whole New Testament in six months. If you were to add just two more minutes, you could read a psalm every day, and that would give you a whole month to read Psalm 119, the longest psalm, which actually only takes 15 minutes to read. Okay, uh, some other challenges. First, don't read the Bible randomly. Please don't approach the Bible like it's a horoscope. That just dishonors God. Don't just flip it open somewhere and point to something and read it and hope it speaks to your life. It isn't a magic book. It's a letter written from the heart of God to us. And it's to be read like a letter written to us. So we read it. We, we pursue its message. We, we read it with intentionality and purpose and in sequence. Related to that, if you use a devotional and you spend more time reading somebody else's interpretation of the Bible than the Bible, I would encourage you to just set your devotional aside for the rest of the year and just read the Bible. Let God speak to you, not Andy Stanley or Chuck Swindoll or, or Matt Lucado or whoever it might be. If you would really like to have a companion in your Bible reading, I really recommend Craig Keener. His book, Bible Background Commentary, is incredible. It's laid out in the sequence of scripture, and you can just read a passage of scripture, and if you're curious about the cultural background or, or what's going on in the text to understand it a little better, um, Craig Keener, Bible Background Commentary for the New Testament is awesome. 
Okay, here's another challenge. What do you need to eliminate in order to make more room in your life to read the Bible? Just an experiment for you to think about. One day between now and the end of the month, don't change your phone use at all. Just use it in the way you normally would, but just do Bible matching reading. Just commit that every minute you spend on this thing, you'll spend another minute reading the scriptures that day. I wonder what you might learn as you do that. A third challenge. Introduce a new way of letting God speak to you through the scriptures. We can think that the way to do it is just to read it. But there are all kinds of ways that the Bible has used the church across the centuries that have been really significant and meaningful. We can read it, listen to it, write it out, study it in depth, meditate on it, memorize it, pray through it, obey it, speak it, share it, live it, love it. I want to close this morning by just reading a portion of Scripture, the first three verses in Psalm 1. And to read this in a way that just reminds us that this is not just a bunch of information about spiritual things. This is not just a list of rules. This is God's word to us. When we read its words, we hear his voice. So as I read these first three verses of Psalm 1, I just want to encourage you to let them bring you into a clearer view of reality. To let them draw you closer in your intimacy with God that you might hear his invitation to you to draw nearer and to remind you of God's authority. And then after I read these words, as the worship team comes up at the end of them, we'll just have a moment of silence in which I encourage you to respond back. God speaks to you in these words. What would you want to say back to him? Psalm 1, verses 1 to 3. We just ask God to allow you to hear his voice in these words. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season. And its leaf does not wither. In whatever he does, he prospers.